chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3. We want to grow in grace, and Peter tells us that we are to do this. As we study this scripture of Second Peter chapter 3, we're going to begin at verse 10. This, the talk on people's mind and heart is the end of time, God's judgment upon planet earth. I thought we'd pick up on that and figure out in the midst of that kind of conversation, how are we as Christians supposed to live? I mean, are we supposed to go uh, sell everything? And, and I, I never got that one, figured out why people would get rid of everything they had. And, and I don't understand why people are going to take as many loans out as they could and uh, <laughs> do whatever is changing your adjusting your thinking because... You think Jesus is going to come back at a particular time. Christians need to be sober-minded, Peter tells us, and there's a way we are supposed to act under this uh, concern of Christ's return. And I'd like to take you to 2 Peter chapter 3, and starting at verse 10, it says this, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. That means that it's going to come quickly. Some, as Jesus said, I come as a thief in the night. That doesn't mean he's going to come at night. All right, when he comes, it's going to be nighttime somewhere, and it's going to be daytime somewhere, right? Figure that one out. Okay, that's simple. But he's going to come as a thief. In other words, it's, it's, it's going to happen quickly. In the blink of an eye, Paul says, bam, it's here. So no time to prepare. You've got to know it. Day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this in this way, what kind of people should we be? I would imagine that's what we're supposed to be focusing on instead of fire and destruction. And If that's going to take place, and planet Earth is going to get re-established by God's righteousness and burned away, then what kind of people should we be? And he goes on to say, you ought to live holy and godly lives. If a holy and God, a holy... Uh, God is going to return to planet earth, we should be a holy people, ready with a reception. As you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming, right? This is a good thing. We're looking forward to the return of Jesus Christ. Man's government and authority over. We can't wait for Jesus to come. As you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming, that day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, the elements which uh, will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. Now, Peter's not getting involved in all the eschatology and the end times that's going to take place, what needs to be established, the man of perdition, the Antichrist, and Christ's return, and his millennial kingdom for a thousand years, the binding of Satan, then the loosing of Satan after those thousand years, and then the judgment of God, and then the new heavens and the earth. He didn't get into all that. You know why? Because people get too involved in all that, because the question he wants you to know is, how should you then live? Study all that stuff, get to know it, understand it. We looked at it a little bit at the beginning of service, but here's the big question. How should we live? 
as we know this day approaches, what kind of people should we be? And he says in verse 18, So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with Him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. Talks a little bit about Paul. Then go to verse 17. Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position, but grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to Him be glory both now and forever. That's the key. Grow in grace. Grow in grace. The day of the Lord is going to come. It is going to happen. What is your attitude? How should you then live? Growing in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's what we must be doing in preparation for the return of Jesus Christ. Because if we grow in grace, our testimony will be a key witness to those whose hearts are failing them because of all that's happening round about them. But as you're growing in grace, you will be able to stand in that day. You'll be able to be rooted and grounded and firm in your faith because you have been growing in grace. Those of you Christians who are saved by the blood of Jesus, you've confessed Him as your Lord and Savior, but you haven't been growing. He said, be careful or you're going to fall from your secure position. Now what Peter says, a better, better translation of that is he, he says, you'll lose your stability. He's not talking about being cast into hell or being kicked out of the kingdom because of a bad witness. He's not, when he says you will fall from your secure position, what he means is you're going to stumble in your testimony. When it gets harder and harder to bear the witness of the Lord in a, in a hostile world, you're going to stumble in your testimony. You're going to fall from a secure, strong position in walking after God. I was at, uh, last night I was in Warren. They had a little festival, a little carnival thing and, uh, uh, for the uh, veterans, and I was out there, and there was a man walking, and he, and he crossed the street, and he was approaching the sidewalk, and as he was walking, his shoe fell off, he stumbled, and he was about in his 70s, and, and he almost hit the sidewalk, tripped and fell. Thank God he fell onto the lawn and the grass. I mean, he had a hard fall. He lost his secure footing. He stumbled and fell. He got back up, but his pants were filthy and dirty. He was very embarrassed. We had to help him get his shoe on. He didn't get hurt. But he was walking towards a destination, and in the process of that walking, his secure walk fell in front of him, and he stumbled and, and got dirty and made a mess. And Peter's saying the times are going to be hard. We look forward, brothers and sisters, to the coming of the Lord. How should we live? You need to be stable and secure. The only way that we're going to become stable and secure is to grow or mature in grace. Because the world's maturing in evil. It's improving on its ability to become decadent. As in the day of Noah. Didn't Jesus say that? In the days of Noah, there wasn't a single thought in man's heart that was righteous. And the technology for evil is getting better and better all the time. We better grow in grace. 
We're supposed to grow into the full stature of Christ. So how do you grow in grace? And I want to teach you these two things, these two aspects. We're to grow in grace, in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we need to learn and know about the Lord. There's two ways to do this, two aspects to that growth. Number one, learn what grace has provided for you. So when you grow in grace, in the knowledge of that grace, you're growing in what was provided by grace. Does that make sense to you? That's the first aspect. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. This is our theme verse for the year. So that we would grow in grace and knowledge. Now, we had a fella saying that yesterday uh, it, the, the end was going to come at 6 o'clock. If you had been growing in your knowledge of the grace of God and understanding Scripture, you wouldn't have fallen for that. You would have said, that's foolishness. That doesn't line up with Scripture. No man can give the day or the hour. And there are specific things that have to be established before the return of the Lord. None of that's happened. This is a false prophet. I like what Bob Duco did when he challenged him. He said, if you're so secure in believing that, would you write me a check for a million dollars for May 22nd? And the man wouldn't. And I was hoping he would because then I'd call on Bob to tithe on that thing. <laughs> Didn't happen. But the first thing you have to come to in Ephesians 1.17, as you've turned to Ephesians 1.17, this is Paul's prayer for the church. He said, I ask, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. How many of you remember? That's where we're at this year. The spirit of wisdom and revelation. So that you may know him better. So grow in the knowledge of what this grace has provided for you. Verse 18, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Why? In order that you may know the hope of which he's called you. So you have a calling. If you understand the grace of God that's upon your life, you know you have a calling and a purpose. You're not just a number that Jesus picked out of a hat. You're not just some random person that happened to believe this thing. He called you with a purpose and a calling. That's number one. As you grow in the knowledge of this grace, you're going to know He called me. Number two, the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. I know all the promises that God has given me because of this grace. Because of the blood of Jesus, every promise that God has ever made is yes and amen. So now I know the promises and my inheritance by which I can call on. I'm called and I can call on the promises. And thirdly, he says, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Not only am I called, chosen by God, and I know this because grace has opened my eyes, secondly, I can call upon the God of all the promises to bring them forth and His will into the earth, and He'll back it up with all the power of heaven. Now that's growing in grace. That's growing in the understanding of who you are. It's not just growing in knowing who He is. The more you know who he is, the more he identifies who you are. You begin to get it, right? How many of you remember when Peter did that? Who do men say that I am? Peter said, you're the Messiah, the Lord, the Son of God. He said, that's right. And thou art Peter. And upon this confession, he says, upon this rock, 
upon what you declare. I'm going to build my church. He identified Peter. Right? And so he does that with you. If you will grow in grace. So the first thing is to understand this grace. Grow in the knowledge of this grace. God is for me, not against me. I'm secured by the blood of Jesus. I've been cleansed. I have become the righteousness of God. I am an ambassador of the Lord Most High. I am a royal priesthood, a holy nation. I can pull uh, uh, the, the purposes of the kingdom into the places of darkness. I can cast out demons in His name. We can lay hands on the sick. They shall recover. We can speak to that mountain, be thou removed. I'm going to grow in grace. How about you? Anybody growing with me? All right, so the first way is to the knowledge of growing in grace is to know what grace is. Now, the second way that we're to grow in grace is let this grace grow in you. It should therefore change you. As you mature in the knowledge of what this grace provides, knowing that grace and maturing in grace, you should be a vessel of grace. Does that make sense to you? Two aspects of growing in grace. Now, uh, Paul again says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, we're being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We're to be looking more and more like Jesus. Jesus is the grace of God. God, by His grace, so loved the world, He sent the Son. The Son demonstrated the very character and nature of the Father. And He ascended so that He could put His Spirit in us so that we would then reflect the character and nature of Christ Himself. We're all supposed to look like Him. Now we all have varied and different looks. Mine's a little redder today. I enjoyed the sunshine yesterday. How many of you love good weather? Get a week of it. We only get a week of it. And it's not in a row either. <laughs> Got to take it while you can. To grow in grace. But we're all supposed to look like Jesus, talk like Jesus, act like Jesus. And this is a growing thing. This grace is growing in us. As this grace grows, we've got to be patient with each other. You know, we've, we've got to understand we're all in this walk together. Some grow in different steps and different abilities. And some grow faster than others. Some have weak spots in their grace growth. Some have hindrances and woundedness that the grace growth doesn't flow as easy as it did for you, right? And, uh, and so we've got to be patient with each other. We've got to be understanding of each other. So this grace is supposed to grow, and it's supposed to happen with an ever-increasing glory. An ever-increasing reflection. Remember that glory as we behold Him. We behold His face and we reflect the glory of beholding Him. And so the more we reflect, the more we look upon Him, the more we seek Him, the greater the glory or imitation of Christ or evidence we've been in His presence begins to show more. There's a lot of Christians who are not looking at Jesus anymore. They're looking at men. They're looking at their religious leaders. They're looking at different things. They're looking at their finance. They're looking at their trouble. You should look at the one who has overcome the world and all of its troubles. We're not going to be more like Jesus if we just look at other things around about Him. You've got to behold Him. 
You've got to hear Him. We've got to seek the face of Jesus Christ and spend some time with Him. And so this glory is going to increase. So there's two ways that we're supposed to grow in grace. One, we're supposed to grow in knowing what this grace has provided for us. Grow in that. Understand who you are. Brothers and sisters, if you're only fed because I teach you, you are woefully behind growing in grace. This word has to be nurtured in your own heart by you reading it, studying it. We have to pursue God on our own. And we're to grow in grace. And no one's going to change your depraved uh, flesh but the Spirit of God. I can't do that. Only God can do that. He's got to work in you. So you've got to grow in the knowledge of grace, and then you've got to let that grace grow in you. And it, and it should become evident increasingly. You're all a bit more tolerable this year than you were last year. Should be a truth statement, right? I didn't mean anything by it. Same with me. Same with each of us. Now, there should be evidence of that, right? The evidence that this is an apple tree out in the orchard is that it bears apples. There should be some fruit of a Christian. And, and we'll know them by their fruit. So the things that should become evident that we're more Christ-like is there should be some love, there should be faith, there should be wisdom, there should be fruit, right? And that's what we're looking for. The fruit of the maturity, love, faith, wisdom, fruit of the Spirit. How does this happen? We stay in the Word. We gaze upon Christ. That's what I mean by worship. Gaze upon Christ. There's so many different ways to worship God. Go for a walk in the morning and, and just begin to speak to Him, sing to Him. When we come together, we sing songs, we praise Him. It's quiet times, there's loud times. There's all sorts of ways to worship God, but the act of worship is adoration, thanksgiving, valuing His worth in your life. Gaze upon Him and you will become transformed by gazing upon Him. You'll begin to love Him more. Trials. How many of you know trials? We're supposed to count it all joy because it brings perseverance. It brings patience, which brings a perfect work in our lives. So we go through trials so that we will be shaped to trust and have greater faith in the Lord. It shapes us. Last of all, ministry. What do I mean by ministry? I simply mean being used by the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit, the charismata of the Spirit, comes from the root word grace. These are graces. So we should be increasing in the graces of God, the gifts of God, which would bear fruit. Again, God didn't save you, put His Spirit in you, for you to use your natural talents and abilities. Your natural talents and abilities should be given unto the Lord. But what He wants you to do can't be achieved by your ability. How many of you know that? And what we typically do is we do the things for the Lord that we can handle. How many of you know that? That we can handle by our abilities. I'm saying we're not stretched enough. We're not operating out of the gifts or the caresses or the graces of God enough because we're operating out of our efforts. Come on, think about this for a minute. I really think that's where the church is at as a collective group. First of all, we can't even get, get along with each other. 
Hallelujah for each. Hallelujah. Praise God that out of South Macomb, we have 23 churches banding together for the Lord. That's something to celebrate. That's something to rejoice about. But it's really a miserable turnout. There are 300 churches in Roseville alone. We're talking about, and I'm not trying to put down anybody. I'm just saying, see, we're trying to do this in our own effort. We don't trust each other. We're near, we're closer to the end times, and the church can't even get together because we don't know what style of worship we want. You know, you know what I'm saying? I don't know if I can trust your doctrine. This kind of thing, it's, it's kind of boggling my mind. We've got to move in the supernatural. We've got to get this together by the supernatural because we can't do this on our own. We can try and talk to each other, try and talk, you know, but this is something that when God moves, people draw in. People are going to draw in. So we've got to have the supernatural graces to make this happen. Each is a great start. I believe it's a supernatural start by God. I think it's an amazing thing. There's many things coming to Detroit uh, in this year as well. It's all the Spirit of God. God's moving. But these graces, as you mature in these graces, they're going to draw us together to bear spiritual fruit. So we need to grow in grace so that our love is stronger, our faith is stronger, wisdom stronger, and we're bearing more fruit and more supernatural fruit, the grace fruit of God's Spirit in our lives. God bless you for doing the things that you are able to do by your effort. But how much more is it time for the church to move out under the graces of the Spirit to do the realm of the supernatural? Things that shake the nations. Amen? Now, I'm going to make this real simple, real practical. Turn to Romans 12, and I'm going to list seven graces that Paul identifies and talks about. So if we're to grow in grace, this, this should be evident. Peter said, how should we live if the day of the Lord's coming, we're looking forward to it, it's been on everybody's heart and mind, then what should Christians do? They should be growing in grace. Growing in the knowledge of that grace, and that grace growing in you to produce fruit. You with me so far? It's a pretty simple, basic outline. That's what Peter's saying. And so... What does that look like when the rubber meets the road? What does God's grace growing in me look like? Number one, humility. And what I'm doing is I'm going to Romans 12. You know verse 1. We're to offer ourselves as living sacrifices before the Lord. This is our reasonable act of worship or service. Right? And as we do this, we're having our minds renewed, being transformed from the world into the spirit. And here are the practical aspects that Paul begins in the book of Romans to tell you how to do it. This is what grace growth looks like. Someone growing in grace, I'll put it to you this way. Someone who looks like Jesus looks like this. Number one, humility. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. So humility is number one. Esteem others more highly than yourself. This is, this is amazing in an age when everybody's trying to get as high a self-esteem as they can. Right? They're trying to be as high self-esteem as they can. And the Bible says your esteem is not in self but in Christ. You need a Christ esteem. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. But I love the ought. The ought is my favorite part of that verse because it's the balance There's an ought to. 
There's an ought to. So you are supposed to think of yourself to a particular position, right? I mean, you can't function if you think you're, you're just such a loser and, and you're such a failure and that you're absolutely no good and can accomplish nothing. We know that apart from Christ, we can do nothing. But now that I'm in Christ, I can do all things. There's an ought to that you've got to understand in grace. You with me? In grace, I can think of myself as a son of God, a child of God, an heir to the throne of God, knowing that grace, I've call, I am called and I have a ministry. So there is an ought to, but don't let the ought to go up into your head. Stay humble. Stay humble. Second, so you should look like Jesus like that. Secondly, you should have a sincere love. Sincere love. No one likes a faker. No one likes a faker. Have you ever come across people that are so syrupy sweet and, and, and you can see right through, you know, it's, it, you know that they don't treat people like that. You know, you, they put on the salesman thing and they're just so sweet and syrupy and <laughs> sticky. But it's not sincere. It's not sincere. It's got to be sincere. Now remember, we're growing in these things, brothers and sisters. We're growing in them. We haven't arrived. See, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. Everybody wants to arrive. Why, I fit all of those things perfectly. And I've been operating in them for 10 years. Ask your wife about that. And your kids. But it's got to be sincere, so we have to have sincerity, honesty, a reality check in your love. It's got to be a self-sacrificing love. So we need humility, we need sincerity, honor, honor, honor one another. Honor, honor one another above yourselves. I was talking with the pastor yesterday as we were cleaning up Kelly Road. Pastor Jay Gregory of Faith Covenant Church down at Eight Mile. He's a good brother in the Lord. And as we were talking, we were talking about, and he was making this point, the difference between respect and honor. People will give respect when it's earned. But honor is simply giving honor to the position and to whom it's due. And so, brothers and sisters, you may, let me test the waters with that, Okay. You may be a Republican or, or you may be a Democrat. I don't care what you are, but you need to honor the position of the President of the United States. Paul says, pray for those in authority. Pray for the kings, right? The king first. Now, I ain't going to pray for him. I don't agree with his politics. Well, you are not honoring the man or the position. You may not agree with him, but as Christians, we honor authority. Christians have got to get this. We've allowed the world's thinking to come into the church. You must give honor. You give honor to those who labor among you. You give honor to those. Right? And so there's a realm of honoring. You may not like your boss, but as a Christian, what must you do? Honor them. Yes, sir. No, ma'am. 
You want to move further in this world? Give honor to those in authority over you. Like I said, you may not respect them. You may not like them. You may not agree with them. But what are we to do? Honor. Because it understands the realm of ranking in authority. If you're ever going to get into warfare in your spirit, you sure better understand authority. And giving honor to those do. You don't step out in front of somebody else. You know how many rogue churches we have? Because they wouldn't give honor to their lead pastor. They wouldn't give honor to their elder. They wouldn't give honor when they said, you know, you need to slow down or maybe not do this or get in an argument. They go out and launch their own. They step out of order. And the enemy loves that. Give honor. We should give honor. Humble, sincere, honor, zealous. Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. I don't know, it was about a month ago, I challenged this congregation on its zeal. And that's something that you have to maintain. We have to be a zealous people. It's easy to start changing into the climate of the culture around you. Paul said, Tim, you got to stir this thing up. He said, stir up the gift. What are gifts? Graces. Stir up the graces within you so that it may be red hot. Why? Because Jesus said, I'd rather have you hot or cold. But being lukewarm is no good. You see, to be cold, you have to be transformed from the culture you're in. To be hot, you have to be transformed from the culture you're in. Either you're refreshing or you're warming. But if you're lukewarm, you have taken on the temperature of the culture you're living in. And you're ineffective. We have to maintain a zeal. I know some of you have been serving the Lord 30 years. I've been praying for this thing this long. didn't happen. I've been asking God for this. It didn't happen. I'll just serve the Lord and go to church and do what I have to do. And your zeal goes... Anybody been there? I've been there. My zeal goes... Crashes and burns. you got to get stirred up. That's what was happening with Timothy. Timothy was upset. People in the church said, you're just too young. I'm not going to listen to you. I'm not going to honor you. Paul said, stir up the gifts, get zealous. You know your calling. See, grow in grace, know who you are, know who who you're calling, know what God's told you to do. So what I'm saying is, brothers and sisters, to grow in grace, your zeal has to be stirred up. That's why every now and then it's good to just get a hoop and a holler and a glory party going on. Yeah. Sometimes we just got to break loose and praise God. Every now and then, someone will go, oh, glory, God, they're getting all filled with the Holy Spirit. Their zeal's on. Thank God, rejoice. They need that for grace growth. Right? I mean, you do your gardening. How many of you put a little fertilizer in that gardening? Makes it grow. That's what zeal will do for you in your faith walk and in your grace walk. We need zeal. He then goes, uh, adds three more things. He says, be joyful, patient, and hospitable. That's all about attitude. Attitude. Now remember, brothers and sisters, I'm preaching this in context of our weekend and all the news that's happened. With the approach of the day of the Lord, how should we live? What should we be like? Here it is. Very practical. How many of you are joyful people? Four of you. (laughs) I'll tell you what, it's hard to be joyful in the Lord if your zeal meter is way down low. 
And how do you get your zeal up? You get in the presence of God. And you remember your grace that has been given unto you. You get stirred up again. You remember your calling. You remember what he said about you. Now, you used to be joyful. Be joyful in hope. Joyful in hope. Our blessed hope is, yes, Jesus is coming, and I'm going with him. Patient in affliction. My God's going to use me in this situation. However, he needs to use me. And last of all, faithful in prayer. He then adds to that hospitality. He says, be hospitable. Again, all of that's attitude, right? So our attitude should be one way. You know what? Uh, uh, I understand we go through seasons. Some of you are going through despair because you've lost a loved one or Maybe, you know, the marriage you had hoped was going to last at the altar, you said it would, and it didn't. Uh, maybe someone has uh, betrayed you and angry. I mean, you lost your job or you lost your home. There's, there's all sorts of reasons where our joy uh, escapes us at certain times. That's why this is a growth pattern. This is something we grow through. But there's someone else who's been where you've been, and they can help you see it through. So, brothers and sisters, we are all growing in grace. That's why we need to be patient. But we need someone to bring some joy and hospitality. He goes on, he says, be benevolent. Share with God's people who are in need. Don't be stingy. I don't know where that word comes from. How many of you, you ever hear that word, stingy? I don't know what that means. You know, I mean, I know what it means, you know, being tight. I don't know where, the, where stingy came from. But, you know, I mean, I mean that's, that's against the fallen nature. The fallen nature, how many of you know, you see it at two years old with your kid. That's mine. That's what your kids learn right away, right? You try and think, oh, I'll bring a little play, play, a playmate over and, and have a friend come over and play. That's one of the worst things you can do, right? Give me that toy. That's my kid. That's mine. That's mine. They go nuts. That's mine. I don't think we ever grow out of that. And Jesus says you need to grow out of that right? Some of you will not move from your chair in the sanctuary. It's mine. I got to tell you, there's someone in the second service who sits in it. It's the truth. You think we reserved it for you. Oh, that's his chair. Second service, you can't sit there. It's funny. I know I'm joking around, but you know I'm telling the truth benevolent. I'll stand in the back the entire service so someone else can have that seat. We need to be benevolent people, folks. We're stingy. And this is not something that is easily done. It's got to grow in grace. Could I encourage you to start spending money on other people? Seriously. I'm very serious about that. Why do you think Jesus spoke so much about money? It's important. It's all we've got. It's how we survive. But Jesus would always challenge people with money. Money. Why? Because he's challenging a stingy heart. He's wanting to teach you to be benevolent. 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 Begin to give things away. Begin to, you want to you sense who Jesus is? Begin giving things away. Instead of selling it on Craigslist, give it to somebody. Now, I understand you have bills to pay and you need to do certain things, and I understand it's a growth process, but we need to begin doing this. Very practical. Last of all, hospitality, hospitable, being hospitable. We are in a culture, brothers and sisters, that if these are the last days, we have got to improve on these things because the culture is moving in the opposite direction. People are not hospitable anymore. 
a fallen nature is not hospitable. It clutches onto things and it keeps its privacy. And we're living in an age where people don't communicate anymore. They don't spend time talking together. How many of you know all of your neighbors' names? My neighbors don't even come out of their houses. I know Mike <laughs> and Mr. Bill. There's some neighbors I don't want to know, but I'm growing in grace. <laughs> But how many of you know it's harder and harder hospitable? Rick said down south, and so how many of you have been down south? There's a greater spirit of hospitality in the south. How many of you know that? But the enemy has worked really hard in Detroit, and I'm serious about that, in, in, in our area, and it's, it's just the spiritual makeup. It's not people. It's, it's not flesh and blood that has done this. It's a warfare. It's a spirit thing that has been manufactured in our realm that we keep separate. We don't trust. We don't communicate. You go down south and there's this hospitality. How many of you heard of southern hospitality? You don't put northern hospitality together. <laughs> doesn't work. This is all very practical. It doesn't sound very spiritual, but I'm telling you it's extremely spiritual because none of this can happen except by the Spirit through the grace of God. He says, for it is the Spirit that changes us into the nature of Christ. The Spirit of God is pleading with you this morning to be hospitable, to say hey, hello, to say greetings. How are you? What's your name today? Would you sit with me? That's a spirit thing because your flesh would say, I don't know you and I don't want to. This is something of the Spirit, to be benevolent, to give away what you have, to be sharing, to be good. Oh, I heard you have a problem. Let me help. This is Spirit stuff, to be joyful. I'm miserable, but the Spirit says be joyful, right? Be patient, be zealous, honor, have sincere love and humility. All of this I conclude, as Peter said, basically, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness looking for and hastening the coming day of the Lord? Holy, when I talk about holy people, we all think, well, we should be reading and humming. Hmm, hallelujah, speaking in tongues, of glory. That's all part of it. But that's not what Paul said is the real grace that you're to grow in. It should have an impact from person to person. And I've just listed seven of them for you to practice. Let's bow our heads and grow in this. Father God, I...